Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by Ben Taylor, the author of this book, Thinking Basketball, which you can find on Amazon, uh, Thinking Basketball podcast, um, and his YouTube channel with Thinking Basketball, which is now hosting, this is really cool, uh, a whole series on greatest peaks in NBA history. Um it's a lot of fun. How many players are you up to now? You, Kobe was the 10th, I believe. Kobe is the 10th episode, and the first, the introduction is kind of a, a prelude, if you will. So he's really the ninth full profile. Uh, cool. It's Kobe's actually, by the way, I mean, and obviously the Kobe's on everybody's mind today anyway, but uh, it's really good. And the, the period that you chose, basically 2006, 2008, you know, is a period Brian and I covered and, you know, it was, it was fascinating to be around, you know, it was really a very interesting period. And, you know, the stuff that you highlight in it combined with Shaq's uh, peak, you really get to see, I mean, there's also magic. It, it's not shocking, but uh, Laker fans highly recommend this series that Ben's working on because by virtue of the franchise that you root for, you're going to see some of your players. Yes. Um, yeah. You'll also have to you'll have to suffer through Larry Bird, which is one of, is definitely a guy that I want to I want to get into a lot. But before we get going on it, I'd like to actually show people like the 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 trailer here because the trailer is both um, it helps explain what's going on in the in the series. It's also like super cool and dramatic, um, and so I kind of like it. And We're so gonna watch it now. Yeah, yes. unless you object to it. No, this is very no. The exciting. idea was people would like become familiar with it and then go watch it like on your on your site that's a good idea let's, let's <laughs> that, was, that was that was the logic you can if you don't want to we don't have to but no, i thought we good might. logic okay here we go <laughs> they do have a timeout decide not to use it curry way downtown bang! Bang! oh what a shot from curry seven seconds Kareem with a big pressure shot. Coming up on two minutes. Remaining of this first quarter, Jordan off the steal. So that's that's the thing, and and like you, I, I want to know real quick before we get off this screen, who are the eleven people? who are like, no, thirty six hundred people like that trailer, and then eleven are like, no, it's not for me. Um, yeah, I, I only gave it one thumbs down, so I don't know. Who the other <laughs> so who are the other ten? <laughs> it's it's um it's a funny thing. It's impossible to find YouTube videos that are basically free of thumbs down, no matter what it is. And um, I'm significantly less offended by people having to, you know, listen to my voice and give a thumbs down. I get, I get really confused when it's like a, it's like a Prince concert or something that no one's <laughs> ever seen. And I'm like, who came here to watch this Prince concert? And then was like, nah, that's not what. No, that's not the Prince I was looking for. <laughs> so what? What? How did you have a? You know, your whole. Um, you know, you you did a lot of deep dives in analytics. You know, again, the book is not just about. 
um, you know, analytics, but also just how people think about the game of basketball. What got you to this project? The idea of figuring out, um, you know, ju- kind of judging by peak. Well, I had wanted to do something like this probably for years. Um, and a couple, a couple years ago, like 2017, I think I started 2016, 2017. Um, I did a long series in writing uh, on the top 40 careers, just looking at it from like a broader perspective, right? And mm-hmm. that had a lot of data. And, you know, the idea there was not to go deep, but to go broad and think about what are like the key things to know about players' careers and their arcs and this kind of thing. So as I got into more video in the last couple of years, it was just like, all right, if I'm going to do an historical thing, video lends itself to deep dive. And I don't think this could have been done like 10 years ago. It certainly couldn't, couldn't have been done 15 years ago. Um, but now between all the games that are available online, games that are in better definition, higher definition, better quality. Uh, and for this series, I even used a dealer out of Europe, a guy who collects games. He's got thousands of games and I'm over here like an addict. You got a like, guy. Yeah, I got a guy. I got a guy and I'm buying games by the dozens and having them send them does over. Does he have them inside a trench coat? Does he open it up and like there's cassettes on either side? <laughs> I wish. It's like what a digital want? It's like a digital version of that. Um, although he has told me that he has clients in America who he sends drives to. Does he now like he- peel you off like a, ta- like a little taste of Moses Malone? Like he's he knows he'll be back. <laughs> Like, like Ben, if, if anything ever bad happens to you legally, are you going to roll on this guy? Like, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the interrogation room? No, no. I don't know, man. I don't know if you're built for the yard. <laughs> I'd roll on this guy. Yeah, well, on how this does guy. basketball nerd Jesus, as Yona Dory refers to you on the show, <laughs> how does that work in prison? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, this is this is this is the pandemic look. I haven't been I haven't been basketball nerd Jesus in many many years. I had years ago. I had my hair like this long, but I just haven't I just haven't really groomed or cut it in the pandemic, and I'm I'm just letting it. It's part of the series. It's part of the getting into the you know hair peaks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I gotta ask. Just when you said like the top forty careers, just because I I, I like the the oddities. Who came in at forty? Actually, I wouldn't know who came at 41st, but that's okay. You do 40 for sure. Do 40. Who came in at 40? Um, boy, that's a good question. It was maybe Ray Allen off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're when you're measuring careers, because that like as opposed to peaks, like what do you look with? <laughs> Quinn better. Quinn better says Ben looks like he plays bass in Incubus. <laughs> These guys are awesome. What, what, what are you looking for in terms of the entirety of a career as as in when you rank them as opposed to really drilling down on a, a few years of these all-time greats? Because I, I would imagine that for some of these guys, there's a disparity, even with some really, really great players. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So – the, the point of the career series was just about on-court impact and then trying to say, what's the value of that on-court impact if we care about you raising your team's chances of winning a championship? And so in a way, it was actually overly rigid because I wanted to figure out like what would that say um, based on all the things I present in the series and then let people use that because people don't usually use that strict of a criteria they think about great moments and championships and kind of balancing peak and prime and things like that. And this was just like Reggie Miller is the ultimate example. Cause he came out super high. I think he was, and I'm high on Reggie Miller as it is, but he, he came out like 30th. And that was surprising to me because the guy played forever at a level that I just consider like somewhere between all-star and solid NBA. And when you look at his career, you're like, Oh, this started in 1990. And then this went until like the early 2000s and he was very consistent about it. Phenomenal playoff performer, um, kind of a precursor to a lot of what we see in the modern game, right? With spacing and shooting. But back then everyone was like, oh, this guy only averages three assists a game. Can't be that good. Um, And so he's a great example of someone where his peak is not going to be in this kind of conversation, but Mm -hmm. the mileage he gives you in his career, um, you know, creates a big disparity. 
So when you get then to the, because this is the, to me, this remind the, the the contrast reminds me of that sort of classic argument between greatest and best. Um, you know, like who you know we you have it every year in the MVP, like who has the most impact, like all this kind of stuff. When you try to tailor it to peak, how, two questions, I guess. How do you figure out what peak is? And then, you know, kind of, you know, narrow it down to like what the criteria is. Can it be one year, two years, three years to figure out what the relative value of that is? Like, what is it more meaningful to be the greatest at your peak or be great over the course of 18 years? So part of the first thing I did, the, the career perspective, was figuring out, okay, if you, so I have a thing called CORP, Championship Over Replacement Player. And the idea is to actually try to calculate if you improve an average team by two points or three points or four points per game in margin of victory, right? So you go from like a team that's around 500 to let's say a 52 win team or something. How much does that actually improve a team's odds of winning a championship? And so that allows me to say with some degree of objectivity, it's still my, I'm still the one like trying to figure out how good the player is, but at least we can say if we agree that one guy's here and one guy's here. The example I use a lot is Miller versus Bill Walton. Like, would you rather have five seasons of Miller versus one season of Bill Walton? Well, it helps to know how likely you are to win with the one season of Bill Walton. Uh, and it turns out you can be pretty likely, like 20 or 30% likely. But when you start to add up all NBA seasons and all-star seasons and things like that, you're going to continue to give teams shots at winning the title. Like, you, you can do this for any team. If you think about... Um, the Lakers team that, you know, we, we covered together many years ago. Um, if you take Powell off the team, you got a big problem. Even if you take Lamar Odom off the team, you might have a problem. So it turns out you get nice little boosts from all-stars and all-NBA players. And if you can get those for a lot of seasons consistently, then you can kind of outpace a guy who's like, got two MVP seasons or something like that. Is there anybody that when you dove in, it was, you mentioned really Reggie Miller along these lines a bit, but anybody else that upon examination, you were like, wow, I, I didn't realize like just how consistent a force of greatness this guy was. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I really realized what he strung together for a career. Um, I think Kareem, who, yeah, when I did the project, I one. He finished first for me in the project. Um, and part of that was the amount of time that he did it. And part of that was he did it for so long, I think we overlook his peak. And he's one of the first videos in this series. And I know there's, you know, some people are going to look at him and think he's at the very, very top. Some people think he's a little lower, but he has like this really impressive peak and he does it for a really long time. And then even after his peak, I mean, the man won finals MVP in 1985, when he, what was he, like 37 at that point or something ridiculous? Um, and he had won, of course, finals MVP in 1971. So, yeah, I think at the highest level, Kareem uh, is probably the answer. That's the other thing that I, I thought was really interesting, just kind of looking at some of the the, the series here, is like Elijah, like Shaq is, you, you basically, I think Shaq, you covered two years, correct? Right. Two so I didn't, I didn't answer that part of your question. I, right. I wanted to make it multi-year. Mm -hmm. um, and that was important because like, for instance, Bill Simmons has the wine cellar. Actually, Ben, really quickly, <laughs> I'm looking over the 85. I think he actually he made 38. 38. Yeah, he, he was, was 38. 30, yeah, yeah. He was 37 when the season began. Correct. He, yep. he actually was 38 when he got that trophy. That is crazy. Yep. yep. 38. Um, and just had a phenomenal series. He, he had struggled a little bit. I think the last time they played the Celtics and just came out it, and again, to keep distracting you before you get to actually answering the question that I asked you, can you do us a favor and come up with an analytic or something? Andy and I have a theory that Kareem is the goat of impressive human beings. That okay. if you if you made like just a Mount Rushmore of people who have achieved in in like, like incredibly disparate areas, if Kareem never picked up a basketball in his life, he would have ended up going down as this incredibly important author. Or like a jazz just, critic or yeah, something. Historian. Or, Has he written he, 17 books? Is that something like that? You guys what, know like the last week? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I, I just during the pandemic. Yeah, I think he's written 17, probably like 17 jazz books. 
Like, forget everything else. It's, it's you know, crazy. so it's funny you guys mentioned that because one of the things for each video that I, I try to do, and it, frankly, it gets harder with the modern players because there's so much basketball, is try to imbue some of the other off-court stuff, some of the personality and things like that. And with Kareem, um, I got sidetracked on that for a long time because, of course, you know, you can get into Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. uh, when the when the Bruce Lee documentary came out recently um, and there's like scenes with Kareem in it, I'm like, oh, okay, so now we're over in Bruce Lee land. I had been, I, I knew about that, obviously. I've seen Game of Death and all this stuff, but there was some new footage in there. And now you're watching a whole thing about Bruce Lee that's this big documentary and who pops up is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, he's an author, yeah, it's he's all a historian. I, look, I'm not. I'm not here to say that Kareem is the greatest historian of all time, or the greatest author of all time, or like the best jazz critic of all time. He's clearly very good at those things, but like I challenge you to find the greatest heart surgeon of all time who also happens to be like a former major league baseball player, right, <laughs> like, you know, right, right. like who has achieved incredibly high levels of success in a totally different, wildly unrelated profession. Like Kareem is, like you said. I think you could argue if you want to go high school to pros, the most successful, greatest basketball player of all time. You wrap all that stuff together. And it's like all the other shit that he does. He <laughs> is the goat of humans. He, well, you got airplane right there. I mean, that's it's uh, just another thing. Yeah. Roger Murdoch. Roger and, Murdoch. And he stepped on me once. Really? Wait, what? How bad? True happen? story. Yeah. In the media room in Staples Center, someone steps on my heel like a really, like a big step like put i'm facing away they put me in my tracks i turn around i'm staring at a belly button <laughs> <laughs> he just he, he sauntered on i was just a small fly and on the way to you know the end of the room for him that was it <laughs> he sauntered by I like, I like i like the idea that kareem just doesn't have to address the fact that he just stepped on you. you no, nope. move right past. No, I wasn't offended then. I'm not offended now. <laughs> I would be more offended if he had acknowledged me. Please, well, that was please tell my other foot, Mr. Abdul. <laughs> I would appreciate yeah, it. I, I'll tell you the, the first, like the first long form Q and A that I that I ever did. Like I'd done interviews before, but they were like for the context of a, of a feature article or, or the book that Brian and I wrote or whatever, but I'd never done just like a formal long form Q and a was with Kareem. Mm -hmm. That is intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> that is really intimidating to sit down across a table with that dude for your first crack at, Hey, let's do some long form discussion. And it, it actually went well, I, I think. And, you know, I, prepped my ass off for that. I think I spent like three weeks researching for this thing. It was ridiculous. But like it's the idea of asking Kareem questions is just a daunting thing because he's so smart and you are always worried like he has to think that's a dumb question. Like he just has to think it's so stupid. Like even I, if I, you I, know it's actually a pretty good question in his you're thinking like God he thinks you're an idiot. I kind of feel this way about Bill. Well, in fairness, Andy, that, that is how most people react to you. So I, sure. I, think, I can understand why you carry that into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, Sean Hyken on Twitter makes an interesting point as we talk about the the goat of human beings. Dolly Parton um, is is an excellent candidate for that. Hmm. She is. She's got a lot going on. If you ever have a chance to go back and listen, there they did a a documentary on a audio doc on on Dolly. It's like eight parts. Um, you can find it. I'll see if I can dig it up. That, that was really good. And she's uh, Dolly Parton. I, I learned a ton. But anyway, um, okay. If so answer my question. Why are you trying to avoid? Why are you ducking my question? Answer yeah. my question. I didn't bring these things up, but that's okay. Um, where were we? Multi year? Is that what we we're talking about? Yeah. Like how how you how you narrow down a peak, and then you know, does it matter more if one guy's peak is five years and another one is two? Uh, well, maybe, but. Um, the point for me was, okay, normally you see like a single season. So Bill Simmons has this concept of the wine cellar. And when people think about great seasons, they, they'll, they you know, uh, 2003 Tim Duncan, he put it all, or Hakeem winning finals MVP and defense, yada, yada, yada. So I wanted to do something more than single season for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted a larger sample size. One of the problems with single season is it's like, if everything kind of lines up for your team or you get the right deck of opponents in front of you, you know, you 
typically as a good team, you only play maybe two good teams in a championship run. Sometimes you'll, you'll hit a third depending on the draw. So I wanted multiple, multiple seasons for that reason. Mm -hmm. And then how many seasons is it? Um, For me, it's just kind of until you start to get worse on one side or the other, right? So for some players, that's two seasons. And then there's some noticeable fall off for some players. That's three seasons. Uh, Kobe was actually one of the hardest ones because it's like the difference between 2006 and say 2009 um, is pretty negligible. So I, I wasn't sure on the years. I, I originally thought it was going to be seven to nine. I kind of went with 06 to eight. So that's kind of how it works for most players for me. Well, it would be, I think it would be impossible to leave six out. I mean, it, right. six, we, we actually were just discussing this. Um, I, I don't remember who it was with, but it was on a late night happy hour. Um, Kareem, I think. <laughs> yes, with Kareem when we, when we had Kareem on. Well. <laughs> we had Kareem and Dolly on a quad box. Ooh. Let me tell you, that, that was, was a show. that was a good show. Um, that was that I, was the our goat of impressive shows. Yes, <laughs> yes. So pick <laughs> it up. Sure. Um, but like we we re- oh it was um it was when we were talking about the uh, anniversary of eighty one. Uh, the 15th anniversary of 81. Right, was just, right, right. Last week. And yeah. uh, Brian and I actually were discussing that on the show, and and I had dug through some of his numbers from that season. They're insane. Like, they yeah, are the truly... Oh, like, his January, where he put up right. that 81, like, you look at his splits, and for that month, he averaged, I think it was 43 and a half points a game, and obviously 81 brought it up a tick, but not nearly as much as you would assume from an 81-point game. Like, his string of numbers in that month and in that season in general are just crazy. I mean, that's that's really the reason why, as 81 was happening for, like, the first half, you really didn't even think about Kobe scoring because, like, Kobe putting up 45 in a game, it's obviously an incredible achievement, but it didn't feel remarkable for right. him. What, what was it? I think 26 in the first half, which yes. for, for most mm-hmm. guys, you know, for most guys might get a Twitter alert, you know, 45 or 50 are coming. Um, and that was kind of the ho-hum part of the game. Yeah, but yeah no, to, to your point, just on that specifically, there are things that I think he developed in the next couple seasons, specifically reads and passes and things like that. And you just refine your craft sometimes as you get more experience. But the the sheer punch that he had in scoring and just the scoring repertoire from 06. I, so yeah, it's multiple seasons, Brian. And, um, you know, the goal is to try to kind of narrow it to the degree that makes the player look the best. Basically that's the goal. So when you were, when you're going through these with, with some of the players that uh, you've broken down, I mean, obviously you know a lot about these guys when you're going into it. But with some of the players that you focused on, what, what were what were some of the things that you learned that were surprising? Like, because you really started breaking things down with them. Oh boy! Uh, just in general, for any player, um, we'll start with Kobe. We'll start with Kobe. Actually, since we were talking about it anyway, and I have a specific, I have a specific thing that I wanted to bring up that I, I had forgotten about from in, until I, I watched the series with them. So we'll we'll begin with Kobe. I think with him. It was really noticing the craft um, just in terms of these guys are great athletes. Kobe's a great athlete. Um, Obviously, great aesthetic, gorgeous game, all these highlights. But it was really just noticing. So one of the guiding principles I use, by the way, is with any player, current or historical, is how is the guy successful? Like what makes him successful? Um, And with him... I think the thing that snuck up on me a little bit more, both in terms of his approach to playmaking, but certainly scoring was like, oh, wait, it's it's not necessarily the same explosiveness you see with someone like Jordan, who I'd only done a few videos before. It's, oh, here's a little counter. Here's a little hesitation. Here's a jab step. He's creating more space this way. All these little subtle athletic things. Oh, he didn't get the he didn't get the edge, but he kept going, and he loves that spin back that I talk about in the video. That counter coming back on the spin, and just having an arsenal of that, and being really skilled with that, and then the balance, like the the dude's balance. Um, I think these. I, I've done a couple podcasts about this now. 
we don't think about these components of athleticism. When people typically talk about athleticism, they think about jumping really high and all these explosive things and right dunks and speed and this raw explosiveness. But especially with basketball and when you're operating at that level, footwork, craft, balance, core strength. And I, I just the takeaway for me was I think these things guide his success more than maybe people typically realize. Yeah, I, I used to say a lot like uh, with Steve Nash, for example, like when people talk about athleticism, Steve Nash is one of the most coordinated athletes I've ever seen. Like Great just example. his pure physical coordination was yeah. off the charts. Yeah. Great example. When and when you start to go through guys like Shaq too, like the 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 thing I one of the things that I thought was great about the Shaq video is like you spend a lot of time talking about and you go back to the Wilt videos as kind of a comparison. Good lord, the eras are different. Uh, <laughs> but like Shaq was Shaq, and you know, physically, I think you called him the most physically dominant basketball player of all time, but some of the stuff that he would do with his hips and like lean down and angles and this and that, like little subtle stuff that allow you to make 350 pounds work in the way that he did, like the level of craft it's, you know, we're, we're, we're used to seeing it with Elijah on um, that to me was one of the things that surprised me in the series was like, Oh, there's a lot more craft with Shaq than I expected both, as a you know, as a, a player in the post getting position, but little stuff like passing in and out of doubles and stuff like that. I mean, I, I that to me was something I didn't really remember in that way. It was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Um, I've, I'd certainly all, always seen Shaq in that light when he was at his peak. I was, I was, I'm a huge fan of so many players. I re you only realize this looking back, like how many players you were fans of when they came into the league. Um, but <laughs> Shaq was one for me. And so kind of following him to L.A. and then when Phil Jackson arrived and just seeing what he had added by that point and in that season, um, that was always in my head. But then going back and doing the video, the thing I just couldn't escape as I was watching film was like how much of his physical dominance came before he touched the basketball and from the things you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. Good. I mean, yeah, you see quick. just how much he yeah. works, works just to get that position. It's easy when, you know, you, like it's a lot more work to keep him from getting it. I think that it was for him to get it. But um, um, Yona Dory asks a good question. There are a lot of big men towards the top. Does a lot of their value come from defense? Yes. And I think that's one of the themes historically uh, that certainly emerged. Um, it's something I've seen in other work I've done. And so it, I'm glad it's coming through. Back in the old days when the game was more compact, just the two-way value of big men, if you were like remotely decent at offense and you could play defense really well, uh, that's an insane combination. I don't think it's as prevalent now because the game's more spaced out. It's harder to have that kind of defensive impact. But for me, basically like outside of Shaq and Kareem, um, the rest of the big men are, you know, two-way Titans, defensive guys, things like that, largely because of the error. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, uh, with with Shaq, actually, you you get into some of the uh, shall we say defensive lulls that yes. we would have, or the the <laughs> yes. stationary elements of Shaq. Uh, at yes. one point, uh, I don't know if this was fair or not, but I but I laugh. You uh, described him as a grazing elephant. Um, he's, a big, <laughs> in, he's a big man. Yeah, in the uh, in the lane, and yeah. there, it, it brings up that question with Shaq of how much conditioning held him back from his truest possible potential. Although some of that potential actually, you know, and some of that greatness was realized through the brute strength through, you know, his body changed a lot over the course of his career. And that, you know, there did reach a point where he did seem frankly out of shape, but yeah. you know, there were all, there was also that sweet spot where he was, you know, not quite, he wasn't Orlando thinner version of still huge Shaq. But that Laker version was just un unbelievably dominant. How much, I guess, in the aggregate, do you think he did lose, if at all? I don't actually think he lost that much. Um, I came away really with the impression or the realization that for that era, that era was so big and 
guys were trying to play like triple towers. Greg Popovich had this idea of three centers on the court at once. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was God, this slow. It's amazing. It sounds so crazy now. I know. So it's, it was this slow grinding physical game with a lot of strength, um, a lot of like 265 pound power forward type lineups and things like that. And I think Shaq got a lot of value out of that. If he had like in today's game, he couldn't play like that. Let's leave officiating aside for a second. He just wouldn't try to be a 340 pound guy in today's game. He would need to be closer to Orlando Shaq. Um, you know, the trade-off for me was realizing, okay, at that pace, he can kind of play that way 44 minutes a game, which is what they basically tried to do with him. And yes, he needs to rest on defense more than you want. But if you're trying to optimize, maybe getting that much out of his offense in that era um, was the way to go. So I don't know actually how much he gave up. That's interesting. That, that yeah. gets to one of my questions. I want to do, and I really want to do this with Bird um, before we're done. And we I have a ton of questions about LeBron too. Um, how would Shaq, you talk about, you, you mentioned weight, you know, and, you know, obviously linked to mobility a little bit. What does Shaq, peak Shaq look like in today's game on both sides? Like how, how does he fit? Cause I, I can't, I don't, I, I don't have an answer for that. Quinn, Quinn <laughs> has jumped the gun saying he would be, Andre <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny because, I think Shaq is the guy out of all the guys in this series who I'm most concerned about coming to this era. Like, le like legitimately. Not like, oh, he'd be a little bit better, a little bit worse. You know, you go way down into the skill and the craft, and you're like, these are great athletes. They'll be okay. Um, you know, three-point line, no three-point line change. Shaq is the guy who I'm like, oh, boy, um, there could be big problems. Because, A, everyone flops now. This is this is like a little thing. This you're watching this, uh, all these Shaq videos, all this, all these games where he's just dominating. And one day, Bill Walton goes, um, "I think Brad Nestler might have no, it was Mike Breen. Mike Breen might have been calling the game with him." And he says, "Like Bill, what what can teams do to stop Shaq?" And he goes, "Besides flopping." <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it hit me back then. No one played post defense like this. And you start watching after that, and you realize. Everyone is digging in and bracing as hard as they can to not get knocked over. And now teams would just switch Kyle Lowry onto Shaq and it would be an offensive foul <laughs> or a playoff. <laughs> so, oh my God. Can you imagine Kyle Lowry would be the only guy who would enjoy it? He'd be like, this is the greatest <laughs> assignment I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. So A, he wouldn't be that heavy because he's got to run up and down the court more. Right. B, B you're more concerned. He, all, he had problems back then with pick and roll defense, even back in the day. Nowadays, you, you have to be worried that he would be like a legitimate liability, like played off the floor in certain lineups. That, okay, that that's part of it. But the flip yeah. side of that is he would, you know, how do you take bigs off the floor given that, you know, at this point, like, you know, if he, if he was mobile, mobile and agile and all that, he would be unstoppable and was a pretty good passer out of the post to find the three-point shooter and all that. So is the flip side of that argument he would force other teams to compensate for his size and what he could do down low? It could be, depending on how they officiate him. Um, I definitely think he would play closer to 300 pounds. You know, he was like 300 pounds when he left LSU. Just such a massive frame. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there could be something great still there. But it would look so different. And the way they officiate him would... Think about it. How many teams are running offense through the post? Like, Philadelphia? I mean, I'm intrigued by it, but... I mean, Le I guess you could say LeBron in the half court. I mean, yeah, but sometimes. LeBron's a hybrid, but he's a hybrid. Or he's AD, who I want to get into later on because you specifically have a video from a few months ago, yeah. also a hybrid. Like, they're not, yeah. they're certainly not classic pivot big men. Right. And the game is so different. Like, you tell in the Elijah video, for example, you get in a lot of how Hakeem opened up. Houston's three-point shooting, this dynamic, you know, crazy high-level three-point shooting where the Rockets in the playoffs took nine a game, and it's like this hedonistic orgy of, like, excess in terms of shooting beyond the arc. And, like, nine a game is, like, like you know, what, you know, Steph does in a night. And, and yeah. so, you know, it's – the game is so different and there's so much more space. Like I, I just, it's, 
it's fascinating. But like, hey, hey, Joey Jojo asks a, a good question. Like, how many points <laughs> do you think Shaq would have scored if they got rid of the charge rule? Like a million a game? <laughs> you know, one of the, every video has a bunch of stuff that I can never fit in the video. Um, they're pretty long as it is. And I actually edited out a section with Shaq that just is about his free throw shooting. Because I think if he was just a 70% free throw shooter, like I, I genuinely think he would have broken the game enough that they just would have changed certain rules. Like they would have called, they would have gone the other way. They would have called more charges just to, just to kind of compensate for his dominance. Because he's, if you're a 70% free throw shooter, what could you do? So if they didn't call charges, that, nah, mm. Here, uh, this is a, I like this question from uh, Daniel uh, Stone Cipher. How do you gauge defensive impact between eras? Teams give up more points now, even though the level of difficulty in defensive strategies has increased. Yeah. So the way I do it is just about impact relative to era. So baked into the question is kind of a, a, a cool thing, which is that defenses can get better and offenses can get better. And if you want to do like a skill kind of comparison or complexity comparison, you can do that. That's a slightly different thing. But I'm always trying to focus on like, why was the guy successful? Because they can only play with the rules that they've had and they can only mm -hmm. play with the knowledge that they've had. And I think one of the things that gets lost when people compare eras is they don't realize each era that comes along builds on the strategy and the knowledge and the successors of the prior era. Like you look at how a player did it, whether it's Bird, Magic, Jordan, whatever, and you try to implement those things and make them the norm. Um, okay, I want to do this real quick because before we go, and I'm just, this is a completely random thing, but of all the videos that you put out, I found the, the one that was most striking to me um, was the Bird video. And it's for a bunch of reasons. I'm, this, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally picking like a random section of this video just to play. Um, and, and then I have a couple questions because, you know, the I, I, of all the switch era guys, Bird to me is the most intriguing. And so, you know, I should be able to do this a little faster by now, but I'm still slow. Keep um, yeah. yeah. Anybody else got, anybody else got something they want to say? Um, OK, I, there we go. I want to I want to uh, set up a tease after ahead, Brian gets to his question. I got one about Magic and Bird. There you go. Good. All right. So here's this. Just randomly, just Sorry. watching Bird. This is choreographed embarrassment because Bird had the league shook in his shooting, and they were on high alert because he could rock you in your face with this quick fadeaway. This was Larry's moneymaker in these spots, and like most of his game, it was quick hitting, catching defenders off guard by flowing right into the release. He's already started the move here before catching it, and Bird even turned that fadeaway into the OG step back at times. Kiki Vandeweghe is often credited with popularizing the move with this little two-step, but Bird was the first star. Just to like look at the guy. Regularly. All right, so that's Larry Bird. Okay, and so part of the fascination I think with Bird is very rarely do you ever see a guy who just looks less like he should be able to do the things that Larry Bird does than Larry Bird. And so when you try to figure out how would he translate? On the one hand, you get into a lot of the things about, you know, slow footedness. It's a bigger floor. How would he do defensively? But the flip side is his three point shooting would be immensely more valuable now than it was mm -hmm. then. Yeah. Um, his passing would probably be more valuable now than it was then on a, on a, on an open, more open floor. How, and, uh, and medic medical care would be better. So he wouldn't be lying on the floor at age 30, you know, and ground into a pulp. So what does Larry Bird look like if he plays in 2020, 2021? Boy, um, I think he's probably weaker defensively because of the space. I The real question is, is like, can you play him at five? And does it look like some cousiny thing uh, compared to Jokic? That's the guy I think of. Um, you know, there are a lot of differences, of course, in their game. But mm -hmm. Jokic is another – Steve Nash, we already talked about. There are a lot of Dirk Nowitzki. There are a lot of guys that have come along in different eras that people think lack that raw athleticism or that foot speed. And if you are off the charts in other areas athletically, like in the video I get into his reflexes, um, kind of his mental map of the court, he was always a step ahead. I mean, this he was like a prodigy 
um, in this way. I think the thumbnail for the video refers to him as a basketball genius. That's a, that's a Julius Irving quote. Julius mm -hmm. Irving used to call him basketball genius. Um, and I think Jokic has a little of that where the things I'm seeing jump off the page with Bird are shooting skill, passing, court mapping, anticipation. He had a huge motor. That was another thing that, you know, I get into in the video that people don't think about. Like he's, he's very active on both ends of the court, super active off ball player. And so I think for me, the biggest question mark, honestly, is his handle. Like how much is he going to dribble now? How much is he going to develop his dribble? Back then it wasn't super customary to carry palm, supinate, hang dribble the ball. Um, so dribbling wasn't like a huge part of his game. And that's actually a difference, I think, with Magic, where Magic's dribble was so tight mm -hmm. that he could pass on the move as he dribbled basically anywhere, everywhere, transition, half court. And that made him such a phenomenal on-ball passer, whereas Bird, he was an amazing off-ball passer. Okay, okay. You've led to the question that I want to ask, and I swear that you know, with our audience, I'm not asking this question specifically to, uh, to set up this with your potential answer, uh, uh, a little but not, this man. Not entirely not, not to I'm, do that, though. Well, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying I'm above setting up bed for that. I'm just saying it's not the reason that I'm doing it. In the Magic video, you said that you could make an argument for Bird as the better passer than Magic. Not that you necessarily were, but that you thought the argument was possible. What would be the argument for Bird over Magic just as a passer? I, I just think it's on the move passing, extra passing. Um, and from what I've seen, and I try to track these things over the years, I think he hits more opportunities. Like Magic will miss slightly more opportunities. The difference is Magic often Okay, that's a crazy more. thing to have said about Magic Johnson he missed he missed a fair amount of opportunities. That's a weird thing. Well, I, don't to know hear. If, I don't know if he missed a fair amount. Okay, right? okay. Well that, that well that he missed him at all. Everyone, <laughs> Seems everyone weird. misses him. Everyone misses him. So like the the best passers ever, um, in my experience, still miss like 10% of these little windows, whether they're tight or other guys make them. There's such a variety passing is such a fascinating thing. There's like such a variety of different types of passes to throw. Um, the, the speed at which you throw them, the little angle at which you set them up, I think that's the hardest thing about judging passing. You see it with Nash. Like when you start watching Nash a lot, you realize like, wait, why does he have so many passes that are available to him? It's because he's constantly probing, never giving up his dribble and pressuring the defense. And then all the other things, the vision, the anticipation, in his case, he had incredible delivery systems, like throw him at his ear and behind his back and no looks and things like that. So I think typically we think of Magic, rightly so, as a more prolific passer. But there is like a purity to Bird's passing. Uh, and I said it, I think, in his video or the other one, I can't remember, that I think he's the best passer on the move in NBA history. But, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to get get me booed from this crowd because I, I think pretty highly of magic as oh you might do yeah. this to yourself i might not yeah. even need my follow-up question <laughs> <laughs> get the meme ready <laughs> that's right they'll still boo me anyway i'll say magic's the greatest passer ever and people will find some fault to to come up with so so but who whose peak was more valuable because i mean this this is not even comparing era to era where you have to go like well you know this guy played in the nine same era whose peak was more valuable uh magics or birds i will i will answer that in the series finale i will go through and oh, kind of that's well played up. i'm still gonna give you the cone of shame what is, what is this what <laughs> <laughs> That's the cone of shame. How do you guys queue up these memes like this? this the cone really of shame lives permanently on our board. Oh, yeah, it's, okay. like, it's like, uh, it's like Beverly, Beverly Cleary. Yeah, yeah, Beverly Cleary and the tattooed man. <laughs> and Slava Medvedenko. And me with long hair. Mm -hmm. That's what I was really going for here. I just said, I'm I'm going to see if I can get that, that Kevin oh, Esky look. Look at that. I mean, yeah. Ben, my God, that's gorgeous. That is just gorgeous <laughs> hair. I mean, you can my, tell. 
You can tell we've entered the last quarter of the program here. <laughs> no, this could come up just as easily in the first. Oh, no. <laughs> the way this show Andy likes worked. to bring it up all the time. Yes, I do. Yes, I absolutely oh, do. That was an excellent, both an excellent tease and a well done uh, dodge of the question. Um, <laughs> it gives you a little bit of time to think about it. You did yeah. a um, you did a series on LeBron that is you know whether asking the question whether or not. Uh, the three games he played in that finals was mm. the greatest three game stretch. And it's, it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Where, where is LeBron's peak <laughs> and how far is he off of it now? Because like, I feel like he's the one guy that if you did the series of, you know, the full thing, longevity and the peak thing, like has the most time that actually is just part of the same thing. Like yeah. the overlap there. Like where does he fall on this whole thing? What is LeBron's peak? Yeah, his um so a couple things there. I will say his peak, I'm going to go I will I will give you a teaser. I will give you you guys can't give me the cone on this. I am choosing Miami for his peak. Okay. And and he perfectly has acceptable. By, he has by far the hardest peak to figure out because of this, there are legitimate like different spikes at different points in this guy's career. And yet they're all kind of like, Oh, we're way up here in, he could just take the MVP and walk away and no one would complain or bat an eyelash. So one of the things that I noticed in trying to actually figure out his peak gave me insight into why he's still so successful. And that is without ruining the video that's coming up or anything like that. Just in short, Yes, he's huge. Yes, he's an incredible athlete. But the mind, the, the mental computer that he has for basketball, and then all of these kind of little like soft athleticism things, um, they're not the explosive athleticism things, and they're not necessarily the things we've been talking about, like Bird or Jokic. It's just like look, reflexes is a great example. Um, dexterity with both hands. Um, like footwork but not thinking of a ballet dancer, just noticing, okay, he can control his body and decelerate and accelerate rapidly off of each foot with equal balance or both feet. He can slam on the brakes. Think about him in your mind right now. Like how many times does he get into a hop step and finish? Um, how many times does he go to that little hang dribble and then take a really long left stride and come up and finish with the right hand? So I started to notice in Miami, like the guy is just developing this enormous toolkit of how to succeed in addition to him having these athletic advantages. And so as the athletic advantages kind of dwindle a little bit, he still has this robust toolkit and he seems to get smarter and smarter about how to use it. We were talking about post-ups, right? Like he's very selective with his post-ups in the playoffs and he goes right to it when he wants to. It's usually a mismatch and he doesn't need anything fancy. And the thing is he's never needed anything fancy because he's so skilled and dexterous in ways that honestly, I don't think it's like kind of been lost to time and athleticism and narrative. And that was the thing that popped out with me. I've given too much away of the video already. It's, it's, it's over. No, because it's still going to be I, stuff I that you point out. Like how far he is. Like you see him do stuff like he did um, the other night. I, I Cleveland, I a Cleveland game, you know, it, like how far off is he from that? Like it's, it's, he's not that guy. I mean, I'm willing, I mean, I know he's not that guy. You know, nobody at 36 or whatever is what they are at 28. But he's he's remarkably close. Yeah, no, he's still he's still fantastic. Um, I still had him as the top player in the league last year. It's I mean, speaking of things that develop, like I did a video, I think it was before last season on why he's peaking as a passer and how despite always being a really good or great passer. He's just rounded out in the last few years and just is kind of at like passing mastery. So it's another thing we're talking about bird. We're talking about magic. We're talking about um, Steve Nash and like he is on the upper pantheon of all time great passers. But to me, it's this version. Uh, his decision making is also a huge, huge factor in his success throughout his career. And so as he loses some of that athleticism, that decision making just gets more and more polished. How, how yeah. much when, when it comes to LeBron peaking as a passer, like the way the way you're talking about now and in beginning last season, how much of that do you think has to do with the presence of AD? Just the, like you can debate whether or not like peak Dwayne Wade or AD now are the best teammate that he's ever had. 
but I don't think he's ever had a better passing target than Anthony Davis. Like, yeah. I mean, that's really, really helpful. Yeah. I was um, extremely excited when they signed him because I had always wanted to see LeBron play with a kind of rim finishing vertical role presence. Um, and I've made the argument that Anthony Davis is basically the greatest lob finisher we've ever seen. So kind of nice synergy, but I, I, I thought that in the season before Davis got there, that LeBron had really started to refine his passing. And so then you give him a target like this and you add little tricks like jump, jumping for a floater, but it turns into that lob pass and things like that. Speaking of AD, actually, uh, you have a video that you made a couple months ago um, about Anthony Davis and hybrid big men that I would recommend people check out. It's not part of the Peak series, but it's part of the Thinking Basketball series, that you, the video series that you do. And you described uh, AD as maybe the best off-ball big ever. And that's not really a description that you hear with big men like off-ball bigs. What do you, what do you mean by that and, and what makes him a great off-ball big? So I try to think of value that you basically create without without the basketball. Um, usually when we talk about off ball, it's like I don't I didn't start the possession. I'm not dribbling or I, I'm not holding it to generate something. I'm receiving it or my teammates can do something else. And then I'm finishing the action. So in his case, it's outside shooting because he's somewhere between a you know decent and good outside shooter. We, I don't know if we've quite figured out like which version version of his shooting is the real version, but he has that weapon right? as a big. He can float to the three-point line. He can move pretty well into his shots, which makes a difference. Then secondly, it's as a role man, um, phenomenal as a vertical lob finisher, catching all kinds of pas passes. And then the third thing is probably, the third big category is probably offensive rebounding, where you're usually moving or finishing plays that other guys, like they, they break down the defense, they miss a shot. But if you're active and you're big, you can clean up. And so those were the big things. There's a few other areas like he can kind of cut well, which is a value add that most big men don't have. He can kind of get out in transition. Um, it just starts to add up where you say like, all right, if I only look at off-ball value, how many big men are doing it better? Incidentally, Shaq, I think, is a guy who you could – when I did that podcast, um, I did a podcast on off-ball players, and that's where the AD coming out ahead of everyone else came from. But after doing this series, I'm like, I noticed I had Shaq in my notes. I'm like, oh, you could make an interesting argument. For interesting question. It was, it was one of the, the fascinating things about that video was just like we mentioned before, just all the little things that you learn. Uh, uh, that is a good question from Quinn. Uh, do we not count KD as a big? I, I don't know. I don't think of, I think of him as a wing. He's yeah. a tall. He's not a big. Yeah, he's he's tall. Yeah, <laughs> he is tall. Um, yeah, AD. The the other thing I wanted to ask you because you you had described him as more of a high end ceiling raiser as opposed to a floor raiser. I, I'm remembering that correctly. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, to be some people, some people do like a logic thing. That doesn't mean he's a bad floor raiser. No, it's just yeah. no ab absolutely. But the, the reason yeah. I want to ask about this is just he had been discussed as an MVP candidate heading into this season. There was this prevalent school of thought that he'd be like really hell-bent on winning it and LeBron would be more than content to let him. Yeah. And the season's actually kind of gone in the opposite direction. But yeah. the, the details of this season notwithstanding, do you, how much do you consider him like – potentially becoming that type of player, like a, like a true MVP, you know, not just caliber, maybe even MVP winner. Cause you know, when you think about the way he's next in line with LeBron, like, and eventually going to be the theoretical focal point of the franchise, like what, what is it, what needs to happen for him to take that leap? If you don't think it's happened already? I, I think he's there. Um, it's just, he's the latest in a long line of guys it goes back to the series. You can you can tag Bill Walton here. Um, David Robinson comes up like this. We're going to get to a few other players in the next couple of weeks. Like there are big men historically who have this two way impact, but when we look at them, we say like, okay, he's not he's not a top five offensive player in the league or whatever. Therefore, he can't be an MVP. I kind of reject that. I think if you are AD is like an all star level player without his defense, he's not great but he's like a really good offensive player. 
And then you add in his defense and I start to run out of players in the league I'd rather have. Now, that doesn't always mean you're going to be the leading scorer on the team. The leading scorer on the team isn't always the best player. But this is the type of guy that I think when you put on teams with talent, and we saw it last year, you're basically going to be in the championship hunt every season. So what more could you want from an MVP? I guess if your criteria is different and you want the the Russell Westbrook, like carry a team, Kobe 06, like that's fine. Um, but to me, if you're thinking like, how can I get teams to the next level? How can I compete for titles? AD is a guy who I, I see as already kind of being at the top of the league. Yeah. Well, I wanted to play at an MVP level and everybody knows why. Drafted him third in my fantasy league. Nobody um, cares, Brian. I care. My children care because my children will be the beneficiaries of the money. So um, in this book, Thinking Basketball, which is a book that you wrote, which can be found on Amazon and people should go get it. It's super interesting. Um, you talk, you know, you talk a lot about kind of breaking down. Not, it's not even just a, like the, you know, this is a, the right way to play basketball, but like literally how we think about stuff. And, 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 and this year in basketball is... I think we can say it. it's kind of fucked. Um, you know, you have teams missing, you know, the Grizzlies haven't played in a month. Like the, the wizards got back on the floor. After, Is that like, where they went? I, I, I don't know what happened to them. Like nobody, nobody's allowed to play. How um, shitty is it, by the way, for the wizards to have to miss all that time and they come back for tonight. Like, like just cancel their season, like trade Beal, cancel their season. Like we're just, just do it like on 2k, <laughs> just let make make it play out that way. But, so if you're if you're a coach, if you're a GM, if you're somebody trying to figure out the 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 the, the patterns for this year, like what is meaningful this year, um, and organize your lineups, whatever it might be, create. How do you do that in a year that is so strange as this one? I I, I don't get paid enough to know the answer to that. Um, I I think the thing I would think of is long lens right so like whatever's happening now is and i've said this before it's we're kind of like in a pseudo preseason right like take a long lens toward the summer if you're going to be a competitive team um if you're trying to be a rebuilding team or you're a young team take a long lens toward getting the right players the right minutes without jeopardizing them or putting them in harm's way or something like that that that's how i would approach it uh, i wouldn't try to like do my my normal you know game planning routine lineuping whatever that I've been doing in past seasons because I don't know it's it's at least right now it's a mess and I'm not sure how far that gets you yeah and like Quinn Better says that this year and last year have to have asterisks and I I will accept that in one sense I do not accept it in the traditional asterisk way which usually means it means less it's discounted in some way because i don't think there was anything easy about winning a title in the bubble last year i do think where the asterisk comes if is trying to figure out what things mean like long term if you're the clippers trying to figure out were we really bad last year structurally yeah. pg and Kawhi don't work or is it just because that season was too strange and too many weird things happened that's, I think, where the asterisk comes in. It's trying to figure out what actually means anything for two years from now when theoretically, God willing, we're all back to like what looks like normal basketball. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I'm not a big asterisk guy in general for discounting um, any seasons. But Quinn's clarifying that he's referring to statistics that can't be compared in normal seasons. I, I think you have to take certain things with a grain of salt as of now, you know, bubble, bubble basketball may have been the, the pinnacle of purism basketball, just guys throwing it out on an empty court and, and balling out. But, you know, does that mean anything um, in the, not only does, does that mean anything in the long run, but like there were crazy comebacks and three, one series and game sevens and wild finishes in game sevens. I mean, it's so funny to think that if who, who took that last shot, Mike Conley in the, in the Denver yeah. series that just rimmed out and mm -hmm. what happens if misses that shot and then Utah plays the Clippers and then the Clippers move on and play. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an entire thing. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I, I, I would kind of think, um, Take take these take these results so far with a grain of salt. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So either way, Go it's ahead, interesting. Andrew. I was yeah. just going to say either way, it's interesting. So yeah, it's the, the series is uh, it's a thinking basketball on YouTube. The book is thinking basketball, and it's the greatest peak series. Uh, people may not know this about Ben Taylor. They think because he's a, a thinking person, he's probably up late all night drawing on whiteboards and flipping things over and building computers and shit like that. No, he's usually asleep by like seven. So he's it's way past his bedtime, uh, so we won't keep him late. Uh, great set of shows coming up for the rest of the week. Tomorrow night, Chris Gere and Stephen Falk, uh, the lead actor and the creator of You're the Worst, one of the funniest shows uh, that's been on TV. It was on FX for, what, five, six seasons, Andy? Five, uh, five seasons. Five seasons. Uh, they're going to join us tomorrow night. Uh, we'll talk about a benefit that they're they're putting together and also uh, just the show and, and Hollywood in general. Samus Fendiari and Andy Liu on Thursday. They're going to yell at Steve Kerr. I think uh, we'll all enjoy that. And then yeah. Friday, Nikias Duncan. Um, and then some special guests for next week as well. Yes, we're, we're looking, looking to uh, around here. Looking to confirm to make sure before we can announce, but they're really, really good. So we are yeah. looking forward to that again. Thank you to Ben. Always fun to see you. And we will see you all tomorrow. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>